We are venturing through Corinthians. Last week, did 12. Thought I'd end early, went long, sorry. Kind of. We're up to 13, but I'm going to pray first. Father, just pray that your word would go forth. It would be personal. It would be effective. And... uh just change us. Make us more like you. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 12.1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. And again, we talked about that. They came behind no other church in exercising gifts, yet they are now being corrected or taught, however you want to mention it, Correction's good, right? Is repentance good? If you can spell repent, it's not four letters. It's not a four-letter word. Repentance is a gift. Thank God he, uh, he lets us, encourages us. They were being corrected because a loving dad corrects his children. Paul loved them, and sometimes love says hard things for the right reason. And that's kind of what we're going to get to in 1 Corinthians 13 is for the right reason. And there's gifts that are mentioned. Um, He didn't want them to be ignorant. You can read through 12 on your own. It's the Holy Spirit in them gave gifts, and they believe that, and they exercise those. And then the question should be is, well, do I have a gift? And we mentioned that last week, too. Everybody has a gift. And then, in fact, we are the gift to, other, to each other. You are a gift given by God for us. If, if you're saved, you have something we need. Everybody's a part. All the parts make a whole. Without everybody in the body, we're incomplete. And what are we created for, right? We're created to know God and to worship him. He said, to know God is life. John, Jesus said that in John 17, right? And this is life that they know you real life, and we get to know God through partially the gifts given to each person. And then he goes through and he lists some of the gifts. And then it says in the headers, I'll just read the headers to get through 12, unity and diversity in one body. So there's a reason that you only have one or two and not all, is because we're all supposed to come together and, we're, and we need each other. He made us to need things. It's okay, it's okay to be lacking something. It's okay to need salvation. In fact, God's not going to send anybody to hell because they were a sinner, or let's just say sick. They're going to go there because they refuse the cure. He's the cure. We were created that way. You didn't get to choose, do I want to come out holy or unholy? I think I'll be unholy. We were created as we were. God had a plan, and his plan was always that we would believe him, trust him, love him, and get to know him. And he he lets us know through multiple avenues that we're needy and that he is what we need. He just wants to have a relationship with us, fellowship with us. We fellowship with him as we fellowship with each other in love. And it tells us in the last verse of 12, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. So it's okay to covet a good thing. We should want what God has for us. We should want God himself. We should want to know God better. And there's things that we need. And all of the things, the ministries and the gifts, we went to Ephesians 1, Paul desired that they know God and they are equipped by him. And then in 4, he said that, you know, the the elders and pastors and everyone that's there is is to do the work, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So we all in each have a ministry. And again, I mentioned Gail Irwin a couple times last time. He talks about this very well. And almost every time he would get together, he would say, how many people here are in full-time ministry? And then, you know, he would eventually explain that everybody has a ministry and that is supposed to be your life. And then after he explains the nature and character of God, that everyone by the end would have raised their hand during that. We're all in full-time ministry. We're ministering to God. And earnestly desire the best gifts. So what is the best gifts? what would make a gift better than another? Food for thought, we'll get there. 
what makes, he says to desire it, so that means that in a part of yourself you don't have it. It's a gift. What is a gift? It's something given. And if it's given, it's because we don't have it. So these are things that we can't have unless God gives it to us. What's fruit? I remember, I think it was Shepherd School actually, Pastor Bill Galton sitting up there and saying things that would like make you go, what? And then explain himself and you're like, okay. <laughs> but he, he says, how many people in here pray for love? Who doesn't want to be more loving? If I was to ask in here, who wants to be less loving? And nobody would probably raise their hand. At least if they wanted to, they wouldn't because it's embarrassing in a church. Who in here needs more love? Well, if we're honest, we would all raise our hand. But he said, he said don't pray for love. It's unbiblical. And we're like, what? Then he explained it. Love is a fruit. It's not a gift. What is, where does a fruit come from? A fruit comes from abiding. If you're not loving, it's not that God didn't give it to you. It's that you're not walking with him. You're not fellowshipping with him. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a result of that happening. We're all called to walk with God. So if I'm not loving enough, he's not going to just let me love more and be better apart from him. He is the love. He is love. And you're not going to be loving without him, not biblical love. So you can't have love apart from spending time with him. And the thing we're going to find out now is the Bible tells us, especially in Galatians and other things, there is no law against love. There's no, there's no law against those things. You can't love too much. And this is something that everybody is supposed to have. So it's not like, not everybody has all the gifts. We read that last time in 12, right? Not everybody has everything, but he's saying everybody should be loving. And, and I remember one time praying that I wasn't doing well in some aspect, and I kept on praying, God, to give me more faith. Lord, give me more faith. God, give me more faith because I was struggling, and uh, like a lot of things, sometimes he does something immediately. Sometimes there's a, t a time frame that goes by because he's working on me, and he basically let me know, because let me know when you're, stopped, when you're done complaining. I'm like, I'm not complaining. I'm asking for more faith. I thought that was, he's like, I've given you enough to get by. You need faithfulness. Just exercise what I've given you, then I'll give you more. Exercise what I've given you, then I'll give you more. It comes with him. It comes. You take one step, you'll get another step. He's not going to allow you to get to a place at the end without doing a work through it. He's not just looking to get something done. He's looking to fellowship with you. He wants to spend time with you. He gave me enough faith for what he's called me to do. And then once I exercised that, then he gave me the next step. It would be wrong to tell somebody, you know what? You've been saved. Hallelujah. You got saved last week. You're going to be a pastor. And then all of a sudden to walk up here and start teaching when God hasn't worked that in you yet. It might be something he's going to do, but there's a process involved. There's something to love people as a process. I remember, I can't remember now who it was. It doesn't even matter. Um, but he was saying sometimes we keep getting the same lesson over and over again. Love is a perfect example. Love me. Okay, well then you learn him and you fall more in love with him. And then you, you pray for more love. And next thing you know, you find out, I'm fighting with my wife all the time. He's like, why, why don't you love your wife? What's, what's in the way? He's not going to just supernaturally zap me. What he will do is say, I need to die, and then there will be a resurrected life there. His spirit is life, and his spirit is love. If I am walking in the spirit, there will be love. So then, he, okay, I need to figure out how to love my wife more, and now it's all about me getting out of the way. Okay, that's how things get done. Then he gives you children. Children are an awesome example I wasn't even saved yet, and I remember when my kids were born, unsaved, and I'm sitting there, and I watched this child be born, and never met him before, didn't know what he was going to look like, except probably like us, and it was like, I'll die for this kid, I don't even know him, and, and, and that's what God did for us, he died for us before we were, while we were still sinning against him, not because we're lovable, but because he's loving, and that's what he wants to work in us. If God is in you, he loves people through you. I remember being honest out street witnessing before, and somebody's like, why do you even come out here? And I, I wanted to say, because I love you, but he was annoying. <laughs> and basically I said, because I love God and he loves you, and he told me to come. And technically, that is love, because love is, isn't, isn't a feeling. It, it has feelings associated with it, but God, it's a verb, biblically, for God loved the world that he gave Love gives. Love is an action. So if there's faith involved in love, and it, it's, 
he's gonna, it's, it requires something on your part. We, we show him and express our love. And we just walk with him. And then he said, first you love your wife and you love your kids. He goes, the next thing you know, your neighbor's annoying. And he's, it's kind of like I had a puppy and the Lord just spoke to him through this. It's like, Lord, I just, I just want this dog to be, you know, first he teaches the dog to sit in his apartment when he's a puppy and he sat. But then somebody walks in the room and he goes crazy. Okay, now I got to teach him to sit when there's people in the room. And now he's learned that a little bit, but now I'm going to take him out in a leash. And he would come and he would sit, but then he would get distracted to be a cat and he'd go. And then I got to, so eventually he gets him to the point where you can take him out into the park. He can run when he knows that he's free and he'll come when I call him and sit because he's safe. But it's a process, it's a learning. And sometimes love is the same way, which is the lesson that he was making. First, he teaches you to love things that are lovable and he's gonna get you to the point where he's gonna teach you how to love things that are unloving. So these people had gifts, but we're gonna find out that they were using them to draw attention to themselves. They were, they were, used, they were a gift that was of God, it was supernatural, yet people were using them out of order so because they can be. And uh, let's just read through this. We'll see how far we get. Though I speak with the tongues of men, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, so he's admitting that if you, you have that, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And a lot of people will go and read through that, and you can read some crazy things. And, okay, what does it mean to speak with the tongues of men? This, okay, angels have a language. They talk to each other. What's the, angel, what's the tongue of angels? And some, that must be speaking in tongues. And people go off on this. I think the whole point that he's making is not what he is doing. It's what he's not doing. It says in verse 1, but have not love. And it says in verse 2, but have not love. I am nothing. He didn't say that knowledge was nothing and faith was nothing and prophecy was nothing. He says, I am nothing. God can work through you, but are you doing it because you love God and love others? And it tells us in verse 3, I have not love and it profits me nothing. So you can do the right thing with the wrong motive and you're not going to get rewarded for it. And ultimately, we can say, yeah, well, you know, I just, I, I'm humble and I don't need to get stuff and it's not all about what I'm going to get. But he tells us to earnestly desire the best gifts and he tells us that we're supposed to be loving and he tells us that there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ and he tells us our eternity. Why are we even still here then, if that's the case? We should be earnestly desiring to do God's will, to know him and to love other people and our it seems that our ability to worship him for all of eternity is going to depend on what we do while we're here after we're saved, the crowns that we get that we're going to be able to cast at his feet. And if you love God, you're going to want to worship him well. He deserves to be worshiped well. Otherwise, when we get baptized, as I mentioned before, they should dunk you under the water and just hold you there. Just go home. <laughs> if you get saved, what, what, what more is here? Why would you even want to be here? We don't mourn like others mourn. When believers die, we know where they go. They get to worship God perfectly. But how well they worship him matters. God keeps us here. Sometimes we think, okay, I got saved. And sometimes people are like, there, I did it. Now, next thing is I'll be home and I'll figure it out once I die. But what's the, all that in-between stuff? Actually, this is when the Christian walk begins. Your testimony began a long time ago. But your Christian walk and, and your new testimony now and your fruitfulness now what am I going to do? I got saved. Now what am I going to do? That's been said of some denominations. Some denominations, you know, they preach the gospel really well, but then they don't know what to do with you. God knows what to do with us. He's instructing us right here. There's things that we have to do. Use gifts. Gifts teach people who I am. But there needs to be fruit. You need to do it with the right heart, and you need to do it because you love people. Out of that motive... That pleases God. Without Love pleases God. Love is him. And again, I've mentioned this a while ago too, right? When two or more are gathered together in my name, I will be there in the midst. Does that mean if I'm alone, God's not there? When I love my brother, he is the love between us. He manifests himself that way. 
when you're exercising a gift with the right heart for the right reason, he manifests himself right there. The body comes together and there's life. Verse 4. And no, we're not, no one's getting married tonight. This is probably read at every wedding for a good reason. Well, maybe somebody's getting married tonight, just not here. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Okay, there's one reason how you know it's supernatural. It's not something he does it. Love thinks no evil. We need that given to us, right? Just sit still for a while. Where does your mind go? Verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies or the gift of prophecy, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect or complete has come, then that which is in part will be done away. What is love? And again, we can say, you know, you, know, you, need, to, you need to just love people. A lot of people will say that. You know, you can't be so critical. Why can't we just love everybody? Okay, what, is, what does that mean? What that means to you might mean you just need to let people do whatever they want. Don't worry about it. Well, that's sometimes not loving somebody. When your child's playing out in the street and you don't correct them, it's not loving. What is love? Love is an action. It's a verb. It suffers long. All of these things, it says it never fails. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God, and he's around forever. We will always have God. Love doesn't go away. Love doesn't end on the earth. There's, when that which is complete, it says in verse 10, has come. And again, many, some denominations will say, now that the word of God is here, that's what it's talking about, when that which is complete, the word of God is now complete. The Bible is finished. Paul was saying these gifts are only here until the Bible got done, which as a church, we don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Um, and then they will say, you know, there's really no gift of tongues anymore. It's done away with. We don't need prophecy anymore. The Bible is the final word. It's the written, it's the written word. We'll get into those two things specifically in chapter 14. Almost the whole chapter is about that specific point. But if I need the gift of tongues, it's so I can worship God in my spirit perfectly because I don't see him and it's by faith. You don't need faith. The Bible, the Bible says you're either walking by faith or you're walking by sight. When we're in heaven, there's sight. I, I, will, I, will, I won't be speaking to somebody that I know is there, but I can't see that I hope he hears and I want to do it better. I'm going to be sinless and he's going to understand everything that I say and I'm going to be known as I am known. I don't need you to prophesy to me about God when God's right in front of me. So when it says, when that which is perfect or complete has come, he explains it in verse 11 and down. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So what does the but then refer to? It's when that which is perfect has come. Paul is saying, I believe when that which is perfect has come is the Lord, when Jesus comes back. And, if, and some will say, no, I think that's referring to the word of God. Well, that would mean before the word of God came, the whole Bible, you thought as a child, you spoke as a child, you understood as a child. But when the Bible was completed, I became a man, I put away childish things. And now, 
for now, before the Bible was completed, we see in a mirror dimly. And again, they didn't, the mirrors back then were, were metal and they would polish them. And the better metal with a better polish, you would see a reflection of yourself, but you couldn't see an exact representation of yourself. You could tell it was you and that you were there, but it wasn't perfect. Um, but then he says, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. I will know perfectly. So if you believe that this is talking about the Bible, then you're claiming that you know perfectly right now. I don't think anybody would dare say that to anybody that knows the Bible, because I have a lot of questions. <laughs> All right, if you know everything perfectly, then what about? But when we're standing before Jesus, all our questions are going to be answered. You're not going to ask, how come you did this? And all of a sudden, you're going to be before him, and you're going to be like, oh, you were righteous. You judged righteously. Read Revelation. We stand before him and say, you are without fault. You were perfect. Everything you did was good. Now I get it. Right now, we don't see everything. He saw the end from the beginning. Everything makes sense to him. It doesn't make sense to us. So with that being said, 13, and now abide faith, hope, and love. What is faith? What is hope? What is love? Faith is the acting out upon what you believe. Right? James said that without faith, or without works, faith is dead. Your works are, the faith is the action of what you believe. If I actually believe a train's coming, I'm going to get off the tracks. I don't, I don't get off the, you know, if there's a train coming. If I don't believe a train's coming, I'm not going to get off the tracks. It's going to cause a response in me. That response is a work, but it's only a work based upon what I believed. Faith is the action of what you believe. And right now, God tells us things, and you either believe them or you don't. And if you believe them, you will act out upon it by faith. God tells Abraham to go, because it'll be good for you. And first, he had to believe it, and second, he had to do it. And then it was an act of faith. He's the father of faith. He said, offer your son Isaac. If he didn't believe that was God, and he didn't believe it was his will, he wouldn't have done it. Now the question is, is he doing it? Right now, we live by faith. In fact, it tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because if you don't act out by faith, you're saying, I don't believe you. It's unbelief. Unbelief is the only unforgivable sin. And not as a believer, we've already been forgiven of all of our sins. Because if you believe the gospel, you're saved. But the only thing you can't be saved for is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit telling you that you need to be saved. Unbelief. I, I don't know about you, I, I read some of the atrocities going out in the society today and what parents and kids are telling children and the crimes that are committed and people blowing themselves up, rape, murder, stealing children, this whole list that's coming out, taking kids and using them as sex, and that's horrible. But all of those are sin against man. What's worse, being mean to me or being mean to God? Not believing God is disclaiming his character. It's defaulting him. Unbelief is a terrible sin. Right now we abide by faith and hope. Hope, again, biblically is not, I hope I'm going to heaven. It's hope is, it tells us, Peter tells us, it's something that we believe is coming, we just don't have yet. So right now we don't have these things. By faith we live out with a, with a hope. We have a living hope, which is Jesus, but we have a hope. I hope for heaven, and it's not that I hope I'm right and I hope I get there. I hope I don't burn in hell or I hope I'm just not nothing. I know there's a God. He talks to me. He's my dad. I, I know his word. His spirit indwells me. He sheds his love abroad in my heart. There's a physical, spiritual change. Anybody that knew me before and knows me now is like, you're different. And I know that because it's an inside thing. I hope to get out of this body. I hope for a resurrected body. I hope for sinless perfection, which I can't accomplish on myself. I know it's coming. I just don't have it. That's amazing to me too. It says that you're going to be recognized and be known as you're known. And obviously, Peter, James, John, um, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they've read Moses. Um, Moses is the one that wrote, don't make a portrait of anything. I doubt there were pictures of Moses hanging in the trees around where they were living. How did they know what he looked like? Yet they saw him in the Mount of Transfiguration and they knew who it was. You're not going to become more stupid when you get to heaven. You're going to actually be smarter and wiser and you're going to know things. And it says you're, you're going to probably recognize and know me, which is amazing to me. I don't know how you'll recognize a sinless me. I'm going to be a lot different. Improved. Moving up, as we say. That's hope. That's what we hope for. 
and now abide faith, and now abides hope, and now abides love. And to abide means to dwell or to remain there or to live in. I abide in a home. I abide with the family. We, we, we dwell together. We live there. Right now we live by faith. Right now we live with a hope. And right now we live loving. And it says that the only one of those or the greatest of those is love. In, in heaven, we're not going to need to walk by faith and we're not going to have a hope for something that's not there yet. Once you get to heaven, you don't have to wait for something. Man, what's next? What's going to be better than this? You're there. It's as good as it gets. And guess what? Love is still there. Love doesn't go away. The love that you know is going to become more manifest to you. And of those three, it's going to be the thing that stays. So if love is God and love is for all of eternity and gifts are a way that we can love each other, He's basically, again, you could teach just on love for this whole thing. And if I've heard correctly, you can come back Sunday because that's what we'll be talking about. But in context, it's in between chapter 12 and 14. And you guys are probably math scholars, right? You know, 13's in between 12 and 14. So the gifts, the correction, and in between that is love. Exercise gifts, but in love. And they weren't, which is why he's stating that, which is why he says, even if you had all of these great, perfect gifts, if you don't have love, you're a clinging symbol. You're making a lot of noise. You're just up there making noise. And we're going to read that a lot of the people that had gifts, or at least some of them, wanted to exercise them in a way that was unloving, that was self-centered, that wasn't for others, it was for themselves, and they just wanted to get noticed. So chapter 14 is his result for that. And before I go further, it would, I'm sure we've all read that. If you were to read that description of love, and again, just it's always a good, Paul said, you know, I don't need to be judged by anybody because I judge myself. I let the word of God judge me. And really, my own estimation of myself doesn't even matter. What does God say about me? What is God saying to me? Lord, how am I doing? And I'm not going to pout if I don't get an A+, plus because it's, he's doing great, and how much am I letting him do in my life? How much of Jesus do I have in my life? And obviously, how much, and again, Pastor Billy used to say this all the time, you will always have as much Jesus as you want in your life, but not as much as he wants in your life. If you want more, he'll let you have more. If you're willing to die, your death equals his resurrection. And again, it said, in your, on your heart is a throne and a cross. And if you're on the, on the throne, Jesus is on the cross. You being king of your life, put him to death. And if he's on the throne, then you're on the cross. He doesn't decide to rule, co-reign, as again, another shirt I had, Steve gave me. Actually, I think about this one in the store. It said if, because there was a big thing in, a few years ago, it says, Jesus is my co-pilot. There aren't two thrones. And I had a shirt that said, if Jesus is your co-pilot, change seats. He needs to be the pilot. He doesn't share his glory. He doesn't change his mind because you had a better idea. His plan is perfect. He's never wrong. I haven't said it in a while, right? He's really smart. He's really smart, and he's really loving. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Pursue love. He says, Earnestly desire gifts, but pursue love. Love should be the thing that you're going after with all your heart. It's okay to desire something, but he may or may not give it to you. But he wants us to be striving, reaching, and going for love. And again, it tells us that verses 4 through 6, you know, love, what is love? And you can put your name in, in there. Every time it says love, put your name there. You've probably heard this before. Can I say Mark suffers long? Mark is kind. Mark does not envy. Mark does not parade himself. You can put Jesus' name there, and it fits perfectly because it is him. Lord, what, what do I struggle with? Why can't I put my name there? Well, if he's living his life through me, then I could put my name there because he is all those things. I don't need to become better. I need to die. 14, pursue love 
and desire spiritual or spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. So this is a truth. And anytime you read something, and then you read something else, and they seem to contradict each other, then one of the things that you think you understand is wrong. God will never contradict himself. So as we go through this, it is true that he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So what does it mean to speak to men? That means, so I'm talking, people can hear me. You might be not paying attention or looking at your phone. I'm talking, but it doesn't mean you're hearing me. But the point is, I am talking to you, whether you're hearing me or not. Am I talking to God? I could be talking in a language that you don't know, but I'm still talking to him. The point is, is the gift of tongues is you specifically exercising by the Spirit, speaking in a language that no one knows. I don't know because I'm talking to God. I'm not, it, it, the interpretation of it would never be anything other than me expressing something to God, according to Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians 14. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. And I think that the better interpretation would be he speaks mysteriously. He speaks in a way that you don't understand. So if you have the gift of tongues and you're speaking, you're speaking in a language you don't know, well, then how do I know what I'm saying? What if I'm saying something wrong? Well, the whole point is that you don't know what you're saying. Otherwise, just pray. You pray with understanding. He's about to say at the end of this chapter, I'm going to pray with understanding and I'm going to pray in the Spirit, meaning it's opposed to understanding. It tells us in chapter 12 that anyone speaking by the Spirit, you, you, you can't call Jesus a curse if you're speaking by the Spirit. So you don't have to worry, what if I say something wrong? Because that's another thing that people worry about. If I'm letting the Spirit speak through me, what if? Well, he's not going to say anything opposed. What, what is it then? Well, he'll explain this here. Verse 3, but he who prophesies, so there's this contradiction between, or he's not contradiction, he's, he's using these two things to set apart to make an example. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. So we know that the Bible was written by prophecies. It tells us that, that prophets, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, supernaturally wrote down what God was breathing to them. It's God's life. We know that the scriptures are complete. The canon's done. So if there isn't the Bible being written anymore, then what is prophecy? Well, prophecy edifies exhorts and comforts, or a way that's maybe a little bit easier to understand. It builds up, it stirs up, and it lifts up. Builds up, stirs up, and lifts up. If somebody's claiming to you to have a word from God, and it doesn't build you up, stir you up, or lift you up, then it's not prophetic. It's not from God. As many I've listened to teaching through this, if somebody says, Thus saith the Lord, well, now they're claiming to have the authority of God. We're going to read later on that it says, if anybody prophesies, then let him be quiet and let others judge. What are they judging? Well, we know who spoke it. Is it of the Lord or not? Did what they just say contradict Scripture? Is God moving them? Does God make you, if he says, thus saith the Lord, is it God moving his lips? How does this whole prophecy thing work? And it also tells us that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So they get to decide if they're going to do it or not. A lot of people will claim to have a gift and they're like, I couldn't help it. God just came over me. Well, when did God ever do that? And when does he do that? First of all, the Holy Spirit is all of the gifts, has them all. He's working through people. He's not going to be rude, as it tells us. He's not going to behave rudely. He's not going to interrupt himself. If the Holy Spirit's talking through a guy teaching, he's not going to talk through somebody else prophesying in the middle, standing up. He's He's, he's not schizophrenic. He's not going to have multiple voices at the same time. Some people will say, well, I couldn't help it. He just came over me. Well, that's demonic. I mean, 
Being possessed is when the devil comes upon you. I'm not saying that somebody that would interrupt is demonic. I'm just saying that's something that only Satan does. It's, Paul's te- teaching it right here. It's carnality. It's, it's doing it for your own self. It's doing it to be recognized. I think the things that he said in chapter 13 about love is because they were all looking to draw attention to themselves. And he's like, first of all, you have gifts and you're using them for the wrong reason. Love doesn't try to acknowledge itself. It just wants to benefit others. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. And we all know this if you've spent any time, whether you've made it aware or not. If you do any kind of construction work, knocking down a building is a lot easier than it is to build a building. It's very easy to knock things down. It's also very easy to sit here and complain about worship or someone's teaching or the Sunday school or the color or anything. It's easy to complain. Doing the right thing is hard. Building up is hard. It takes effort. It puts you out there, but it's loving. That is what love does. Building each other up. Building up each other in your most holy faith. Encourage one another. Four, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And we're going to read later on that he says, you know, tongues is the least of all the gifts. It's the only one. Every other gift builds up everybody else. Tongues is the only one that builds up you. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit, which means it's not wrong. God doesn't make mistakes and he doesn't do things in a way that is bad for you. It's good for you, but it's for you. It says here that he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Spiritually, you get encouraged. Spiritually, you get built up. It's a way of worshiping God and giving thanks. We're going to read both of those two things. You're speaking to God, you're giving him thanks, and you do it well because you're not involved in it. It's a way that you can actually, in the spirit, serve God, that your flesh, the only thing that you can do with your flesh is use it at an inappropriate time. But it is, it's, it's unfiltered through you. As uh, Joe Foch said, it's kind of like on a hot day being outside and you get a drink of water that's refreshing, but it tastes like rubber because you're drinking out of the hose. The water's not the problem. It gets tainted through the, the conduit that it's using. And the gift is perfect, but sometimes the conduit is tainted. And we're the conduits. I'm the conduit. Sometimes we taint things. But that gift, used properly, Paul said, I pray more than, in tongues more than all of you, but when I'm alone, because it's not for the edification of the body, so why use it in the body? Which means, why would he pray more than anybody? I don't, most of the commentaries of the people that I listen to claim to have the gift. Many of them have large churches, and many of them have been there a long time, and they've all said, you've never heard me speak in tongues because it's not for when I'm, we're in public. But they do it. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Again, Paul's not the Holy Spirit. He isn't the one that decides who gets what gifts. But he's, not, he's saying, I'm not opposed to the gift of tongues. But even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So he's saying there is a time when it is okay to speak in a tongue in a public setting, but under direction and there's rules. Verse six, but now brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. And it's probably, it's not a coincidence. He uses all these different things. Sometimes God will speak to us, and Paul says, through me, by revealing something, by giving knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. Those are things that profit other people. And all of those things have something in common. It is relayed audibly a truth from God for the benefit of somebody else. When we get together, we're supposed to be here to minister to each other in a way that edifies them. 
And sometimes we, how, so how does God speak through those things? And, and it's kind of funny. We can, we can have our own comfort zone, right? I know how he normally speaks to me. I have my own personal relationship with God. I have a routine that I go through every day. And I need to be open to allow God to do what he wants because he's God, I'm not. And sometimes God might choose to speak to me through a stranger that I don't even know, through a situation, by listening on the radio, through a teaching, um, just through a circumstance. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't like that. And then he might just tell me by his spirit, yeah, you did that to someone else. I've been trying to show you. Now you realize it. Treat others like you want to be treated. He can talk to me how he wants. How did he say he was going to, to speak to us? The, the number one way most of us, especially here at Calvary, right through his written word, we, that's how we test everything. If God says something, how do we know it was of him? The Bible tells us to take it to the Bible. It won't contradict the word of God. So one, we need to be reading the word of God and God will speak to us. But he also said in the last days, right, dreams and visions, depends what your age is. Dreams and visions. Sometimes God, sometimes I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I would know that was God or I might be skeptical or how do I know that's of the Lord or not? And people can get kind of funny. That's not how we talked to me before. That doesn't mean it's not of God. If somebody approached me and said, hey, I had a, I had a dream about you, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> Ultimately, why would God give somebody else a dream about me? Why wouldn't he just tell me? And I can tell you it's happened to me. And I knew it was God because he knew something that only I knew. He couldn't have known. And everything that he said was going to happen had already begun. And it was somebody I knew well, and it was edifying. It lifted me up, and it was building me up. It was a prophetic word through a vision, and what he said came to pass. So how do you know if it's God? Well, did it happen? And sometimes people might come in our realm, even people that we don't know. It's happened recently here, actually, that somebody showed up and was sitting there and stated something that seemed out of order or weird. Um, and some people are like, what was that? And I'm like, I don't see, you know, could it have been a vision? I don't know. How do you know? So you wait and you, you test it. And he's going to tell us later that let the spirit of the prophets be judged by, by well, we'll get there. But I'm not going to rule it out automatically. It wasn't an unbiblical thing that happened. Um, was it from God? Did he speak? I don't know. He tells us in verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Unless to you either, he says, so that the tongues is something that you don't know. It's, it's not going to profit you in that setting. Seven, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? And, uh, there's somebody actually sitting in this room right now. You can like start a couple notes or let's say a couple, one word even of a song and all of a sudden he knows exactly what you're talking about. Because it, it makes a distinction. Yeah, I'm talking about Richard. But <laughs> songs, he can, it's, it's there. Reveille, right? A trumpet to go to war or how do you know when to get up? How do you know what area to go to? How do you know what front to go to? You know, back then they didn't have two-way radios. They didn't have ham radios. They didn't have satellite phones. They would blow a trumpet that meant, you know, those three tribes need to move over there as they're getting ready for battle. There was another sound that meant it's time to get up. There's another one, a trumpet sound that meant it's time to eat. So he goes, if they didn't have a distinction, then you would have no idea. It would just be chaos which is what he was saying was happening in the church. There's all this noise. There's all these things going on, and it's not making any sense. Verse 8, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. And I've been accused of that more than once. So, <laughs> Peter said that of Paul, right? Some of the things he says are hard to understand. Again, what gift do you have and how do you exercise it? And I've had multiple people because of my background and where I used to work. Um, companies would come out that would sell electric wholesale. 
And many people at the church have come to me and said, who should I buy from? Because you have a choice now who you buy your wholesale from. And I'm like, I'm not a prophet. I can't, who should you buy from? I have no idea I'm not you. <laughs> I have a hard enough time figuring out what I want, but what I can do is teach you the theory behind this whole system. So I started explaining it to them because that's the gift I felt that I had. Well, if you do this and the company does this and, and more than once, I think every single time they're frustrated. Like, I don't want a, t a teaching. I want a prophecy. Just tell me who to buy from. I'm like, I don't know. That's not my gift. I'm not going to sit there. God says you're supposed to buy from this person. So if you're looking for something, then you need to go to the right person with the right gift. Speak easy to understand. Otherwise, you will be speaking into the air. You're just talking. You're just making noise. There are, verse 10, it may be so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Another miracle. We have somebody that can answer this way better than me. Like, not even a little better than me. Like, I don't know anything. Language. Speaking. And uh, some of the things that I've heard, it's like it's a miracle that there's even a language. How do you distinct the fact that there's words that mean something and everyone agrees upon it and there's different languages and people talk about it. But if I was sitting here and I started speaking in German, which I did take three years of German, and no, I can't, I know like two words, you would be like, what's he talking about? It doesn't make any sense. Every language, there's distinctions. None of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner, or a barbarian is the actual word, to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. And as one commentator I read, it's like going to another country and you have to go to the bathroom, and you walk up to them and you're like, uh, bathroom, and you're like, huh? You're like, bathroom, like speaking slower is going to help them understand English, and it's like... <laughs> You're frustrated, they're frustrated, and I have to go change my clothes. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, and here we find part of the problem, they were more looking for what God would do for them or give to them that they could be seen than they were for looking to edify the church. They were, they were zealous for spiritual gifts, he says, let it be, which would imply that it wasn't the case, be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. If you want to exceed in something, exceed in serving. How are you going to serve? If you want to be given something, make it something that you can give away. What have you received that, that you, what, what do you, what have you give that you haven't first received? If God's given you a lot of money, it's maybe because he wants you to give it away. If God gives you understanding, maybe it's because he wants you to teach. If God's given you the ability to serve, maybe it's because he wants you to serve. He doesn't want you to do something in your own strength that he hasn't given you because you'll just get frustrated. You'll frustra everyone around you will be frustrated and it won't be to God's glory. Edify each other. 13, because of that, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. And some people believe that this means, again, no scripture will contradict any other scripture. He tells us in 12 that to one is given a, the gift of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. Some people would say, no, this means that the person with the tongues can interpret. But he basically, I believe what he's saying is if you're in, in here, so let's just say somebody here or you're in a prayer room where it might be used correctly, does God have the ability to speak in an unknown language? Well, according to scripture, he does. I've witnessed it dozens of times. Every Sunday morning in a prayer room, there would be people years ago that would pray and interpret, and it was done orderly and decent, and it was edifying, and it was done right. So the tongue edifies them. The interpretation edifies everybody else. Well, if you're in a public setting, the tongue only edifies that person. I can't think it was uh, David Guzik was saying, instead of speaking in a tongue, just ask for the interpretation of it. If I have the gift of tongues and I can speak in a tongue, I'm not helping anybody. 
Why don't I just pray for the interpretation and then say it? That would be edifying other people. That's more proper for a public setting. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So therefore, he isn't the one that has the understanding. 15, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I also will pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? At your giving of thanks. So he's saying when you're speaking in tongues, you're giving thanks. Since he does not understand what you say, amen is basically saying, let it be so. I agree. Yes, Lord. Well, I'm not going to say that to something I don't know what he's saying. What if the guy, if I need to know if I'm going to be in agreement with him. It doesn't edify me. 17, for you indeed give thanks well. It's not wrong to speak in tongues. You give thanks well but other people aren't edified. I think, my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. He's claiming they do it a lot. He's saying, I do it more than you. That's quite a statement. He is inspired by God. There's nothing wrong with talking to God. There's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. There's nothing wrong with singing in tongues. They're good. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. Grow up. However, in malice, be babes in understanding, be mature. Do the right thing and be forgiving. Again, what does God require of you? Do justly. Do the right thing. Be mature. Love mercy. Forgive other people and don't be so hard on them. And walk humbly with God. If you're anything and you think they're not, it's only because God did something in you and you can't take any credit for it. But by grace, there go I. And if all you have to, if you want to, be humbled. Again, what is humility? And I think the Lord, the only thing he showed me about that is the harder you try, the less you can be because it's you doing it. And Pastor Jeff used to say, humility isn't thinking lowly of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. So you can't purpose to think I'm not going to think about it because that's thinking about it. So humbling isn't something that you can do to yourself. It's something that happens to you. And so you might think you're tough, but then some big guy comes walking around and you're humbled, right? He just pummeled me, right? If, if you think you're smart, talk to God. It'll humble you. If you think you're strong, fight with God. Or don't even fight with him, just walk. He walks in the room, you're going to be humbled. Being in the presence of God is humbling. He's, he's perfect. If we, in this body, if we were going to be standing right before him, we'd explode, the Bible tells us. We can't even be there. What did, the, what did the psalmist write? Who are you? Look into his face. Get at the foot of the, the, at the, of the cross. Realize what your sin did. Realize what he did. Realize the consequences of all of that. You're going to be humbled. You're not going to be haughty before him. If you're using a gift, realize he's listening. That's the teaching. Oh, I could understand the scriptures better than that guy. Well, maybe you can. You probably can. But are you able to hear from God, say what God wants to, to his people with him listening and watching you? That's why the apostle said, let there not be many teachers, for there's greater condemnation. You put your whole spiritual walk out before him. Every gift should be that way. Everything that you do for God should be for his glory. It's to his people. You're doing something to his children with him right there. How would you be if somebody acted inappropriately around your kids while you're right there? I know how you should be. It's humbling. 21. In the law, it is written, and I don't know how many times I've read through this. I've never had a good understanding on it, and this is where I had said, if something you think that you understand contradicts something else that you understand, then one of those two things is wrong. This is... Joe Foch said this is probably the hardest to understand 
thing Paul wrote. So how confusing would that be? In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So here, on first glance, you might think tongues are a sign to people that aren't saved. And then people will teach on that, and then they'll go to Pentecost, and they'll do a lot of things. Did the people at Pentecost get saved because they spoke in tongues? No, Peter preached. That's how they got saved. What does it mean, then, it's a sign for an unbeliever? What is the sign, and who are the unbelievers? And I think it's, he had come up with something I'd never heard before, and it makes perfect sense to me. You can be the judge of that. You seek the Lord. But where in the law is it written? It's written in Isaiah, where he says, men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And that was in regards to the Babylonians, I believe, coming in. And he had sent prophets to them, and they wouldn't listen to the prophets. So he said, fine, then there's going to be people coming in that you don't know their language, and they're going to take you. And you're going to be judged now because you were unwilling to listen to what I said prophetically. So the people in Israel in the days of Isaiah, which is the verse he quotes from, so it's not out of context, heard prophecy, didn't heed it, and then God allowed judgment to come through a people with tongues that they didn't know. So this isn't speaking, I don't believe, about the church. And it's not us being judged. Israel, just think about that whole thing in general. Ask a Jew throughout the centuries, what language does God speak? And what do you think they'd say? Hebrew. He's a Jewish God. He's our God. He doesn't even like you guys. You're all just created to burn and for the fuel for the flames of hell. And then all of a sudden he gives the gifts where he speaks everything but Hebrew. And they're like, what do you mean? God knows Aramic? God knows English? God knows French? Really? It's a judgment to Israel. I don't know if that helps or makes it worse, but clearly when people are speaking in tongues, he's not saying it's a sign so for unbelievers because he's, he's going to, all you got to do is keep reading. 23, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? So 22 can't be saying tongues is a sign to the unbelievers unless God wanted to convince unbelievers that we're all insane. I don't think that's what he wants to tell unbelievers. He wants to tell them the gospel. He wants to preach to them. Isaiah makes sense to me. And I believe that was happening in Corinth. It's happening in certain churches in our own city. Churches get together. People speak out in tongues. My family members have a church that do that. And my dad, being an unsaved Lutheran, and me, not even being church yet, we're going to their children's, I think, baptism. I can't remember. We're going to their church for a reason, and my dad is sitting there explaining to me all the crazy things that are going to happen so I won't be freaked out, and it didn't work. I, I was freaked out. <laughs> I thought they were insane. They were acting out, and I believe they love God. But they were using the gifts out of order. Paul is like, don't do that. How can that happen? Again, if you have a gift, you exercise it. How does one speak in tongues? One of the pastors I listened to has the gift. And he said he went through this whole process of listening online. Things not edifying at all. Some would say, well, as many of them say, they just say, just practice, practice, do this. Say Hanukkah, Hanukkah, Hanukkah. And it's like, like you have to try to make it happen. And they're like, that's insane. He goes, how do you speak? A thought comes into my head, and I have to choose whether I'm going to say something or not. The spirit of the prophet is subject, the prophecy is subject, the gift of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You get to decide if you're going to do it or not. And you either have to believe God that he can do it and allow him to do it or not. 
How do you have the gift of healing? Can God heal? You don't have to try hard to heal because you can't do it. Is it hard for God? And I'm, how many times have I mentioned that? Is there anything too hard for God? Of course, what's my, always, my answer? Does God even know what hard is? He talks. Breaking a law that he made, gravity, but hold, he's the one that holds every single thing together in your body. Cut an ear off. How do you put it back on? God did it. Because the thing that was holding it on to begin with was him. Colossians tells us that he's holding everything together. He designed physical laws that, can, that, that happen, and then he can go before those laws were made and make and counteract it. If you can't heal somebody, but you can have a gift of healing, you can pray for somebody, and people do get healed. Well, how that happens is the same way tongues happens. You ask for it, he gives it to you. I don't have it, so I'm not, I can't tell you how that happens. I don't know. But I have used gifts before. I've mentioned in that prayer room, I've had an interpretation. I've, I've seen things happen. I've seen a word of wisdom. I've told you my four-year-old prophet had a word of wisdom that he knew what it was. I was like, what do you, I was a new believer. He told me something that he couldn't possibly know that I was just talking to my wife about. And when I asked him how he knew that, he said, God told me. So I don't want to discourage him, but I'm thinking, what do you mean God told you? How did God tell you? I'm like, four-year-old, I'm like, just, okay, it had to be God. I knew it had to be God because there's no way that could have happened otherwise. And he just confirmed it through a, through a kid. Out of the mouth of babes, I've perfected praise. Be like a child. Just believe remember another time praying for a healing for a guy who was sitting at a Wendy's and uh, there was a guy sitting there and he was obviously had a physical ailment. He couldn't walk very good. He couldn't talk too good. He was a mess. He got his own food and sat down and he's shaking and he's muscular issues. And uh, I think same son, a couple years later, maybe six. Thank God for the food. You guys think probably I don't ever pray for my food. I'm always telling you about how my kids are praying over our food. But anyways, he gave thanks for the food and he prayed that God would heal the guy. And as soon as he got done, he looked over there and said, Dad, how come he's not healed? Faith of a child. And uh, I did end up going over and praying with him, laying hands on him, asked the Lord to heal him, had a conversation with him, and he was saved and going to church and he knew the Lord. And I was like, okay, well, spiritually he's healed. <laughs> I never, God can do whatever he wants. Twenty-four. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God truly is among you. My four-year-old telling me something that he, the secret of my heart was revealed, and I knew it was God. I don't know if you've ever brought somebody here. I don't know if it's ever happened to you when you first come in and sit down and you're like, who told him? Who told the pastor that? I can't believe, who told him? Why did he say that? You shouldn't be talking about me. I didn't say anything. The Holy Spirit just spoke through him to an issue that you're having. I got saved. I'd read my Bible. I'd have a question. Every day I'd turn the radio on and he answered it on the radio every day. I'm like, how do they know what I'm reading? God knows the secrets of your heart. The king was going to invade and kill the neighboring kings of Israel and they were going to kill the king and every time he would find out where he was he would send somebody there and they were gone and he's like all right which one of you is telling on me who's who's the spy and they're like no God tells the king God tells the prophet on his bed what you're going to do and he tells the king God knows everything sometimes he chooses to tell us things that we can't know otherwise Everything should be done for his glory and for everyone else's benefit. Edify people. Seek to build up, stir up, and lift up. Use your gift properly. Use it for God's glory and the benefit of everyone else. Why don't we stand and pray? Father, we just thank you that 
you want to speak to us, that we can know anything about you. We want to know you better. We want to be an encourager, not a discourager. We want to be loving. We know that comes from having more of you. We know that you are love, and the more of you we have, the more loving we'll be. Lord, while you were here on the earth, you told us to abide in you, in you and us, and we will have fruit. Help us to abide in you. Lord, when we ask for more love, we're asking for more of you in our lives. We know that's a choice that we have to make. Help us to choose you. Convince us you're right. It says that you love us, and that's the thing that changes us. Lord, causes us to repent. You draw us in with cords of love. Help us to know you better. Help us to use the gifts that you gave us for your glory. Lord, just help us to use the gifts you gave us. Thank you for being a good, dad, a good God, a good dad, a loving father, a good husband. The I am, you're everything we need. Fill us with your spirit and use us for your glory. Keep us safe. Help us to think about you tomorrow. Amen. Thanks for coming. Hallelujah. Pray with each other.